You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up on the show, a new book, an inspiring story about beating the odds. Also ahead with Passover just around the corner, we learn more about the Seder meal. And if you need to find your balance, we take in a yoga practice at Bliss Ohm. But we begin with the province's transit announcement earlier this week. Christy Laverty with Markham Mayor Frank Scarpitti and the Young North Subway Extension. We are finally seeing the Young Subway Extension all the way up to Highway 7 uh, funded in in this program. Uh, So great that we, we are finally seeing that happen. We've been waiting over 10 years. Uh, since uh, we completed the environmental assessment on the Young Subway Extension, waiting for other levels of government to properly fund this project and, and to see it completed. So today's announcement is good on that front, but there's also, I think, some other key elements that will be good for the beleaguered commuters in York Region. Uh, the fact that they are going to be improving the Young Bloor platform, making that more efficient and safer for all commuters uh, at that particular junction. And then the Ontario line, which is the formerly known as the, uh, as the downtown relief line, all of the scenarios we used to say, we used to see in the past from the city of Toronto, we never objected to it, but, you know, quietly we were always asking ourselves, why are they spending billions of dollars on what they're calling a downtown relief line that would have provided virtually very little relief to the Young Subway extension. Today, the new alternative of the Ontario line, which will go from Thorncliff Park, high-density areas in and around the Ontario Science Centre, south through the previous areas that would have been captured by the previous downtown relief line, uh, along, run west all the way over to Ontario Place. This will truly be a relief line, and with the dollars spent, they've been able to double the, the length of the line, spend uh, the same, almost the same amount of money on it, and obviously capture way more riders that will provide noticeable relief on the Young Subway line. And then, of course, all the improvements to the uh, to the Go lines, but Definitely a big day, definitely a big win for York Region. And you're somebody who is a fan of of the the provincial government taking more control of um, transit, particularly out of the hands of Toronto. Why is that? Why do you feel like that that is a good move when, of course, we're hearing from Toronto um, that I don't think that they love it that much? Well, it's a good news because you know, we've been so frustrated, as I said, over 10 years. We, we've actually been advanced. We were done long before many of the projects uh, were even thought about. We completed our environmental assessment over 10 years ago. We've been waiting for funding of this project. And just to give you an example, 
of how crazy things have been. A year and a half ago, we got funding to start the preliminary design from the federal government and the provincial government. It's taken a year and a half just to set up the office to start that work. And this is the frustration. The reason I've supported Upload is because uh, we have to end the jurisdictional delays that have happened because of uh, the control of uh, the, the project for Young Subway. And I'll just say something, that a truly world-class integrated subway system, a regional subway system, does not belong in the hands of one city. That's as, as absurd as saying that the 401 uh, would have been under the jurisdiction of one city. Just like the province builds 400 series highways, which are the backbone to the road transportation network throughout the GTA and actually beyond in the province of Ontario, so too should they be building and directing the funding for uh, an interregional world-class subway system. And as far as, um, you know, the financial commitment for um, York Region, um, you know, obviously cost is something that people are hearing a lot about. And, you know, residents in the region might be wondering what kind of a commitment, what kind of a, a you know, financial commitment um, might the region be responsible for? Well, first and foremost, the province is, is solidly committed. And the federal government had already made previous announcements that will help uh, progress some of the transit projects that are totally within uh, the city of Toronto. And uh, I would just have to say the federal government's going to have to come to the table to help close the gap on the projects that haven't been funded so far. There's no way we can contribute the amount of dollars that would be required, and neither can the city of Toronto, by the way. Uh, no city can contribute the dollars needed and have the dollars come from property taxpayers. Uh, we did contribute to the Spadina line, the extension north to York University and up to Highway 7 in York Region. We contributed over $600 million to that project. However, in that case, we were given uh, special legislation to be able to uh, take some of the dollars and raise it through development charges. However, it was only specific to that project. If we are going to be expected at the local level uh, to contribute those kinds of dollars towards Young Street, then I would just say that we are going to need some of the tools to raise that uh, revenue. But first and foremost, the federal government now has to come and deliver more dollars to close the gap between what the province is contributing towards the Young Subway extension. And my final question really is kind of swinging back around to this idea of um, the importance of regions outside of the city, particularly we've talked about transit for the region before about that congestion, the number of people who are driving because it's not convenient. You know, it's more than just getting people moving. It does have an impact on so many other areas you know, we're talking about the environment, we're talking about the infrastructure. Um, again, maybe talk about why this is so important, other than saying, hey, you know, we're going to get more transit. There is this spill-off effect of having better transit for areas outside of the downtown uh, community of Toronto. Absolutely. Uh, we have over 2,500 daily bus trips that are being taken on Young Street today. 
Those beleaguered commuters are jammed into those buses trying to get down to the Finch subway. Uh, we have thousands of, of cars that are clogging up roads uh, trying to get to the Finch subway. They park in that huge parking lot down there. Extending the Young Subway North to Highway 7 will take uh, the vast majority of those uh, bus trips and those bus vehicles off of Young Street. And, of course, the thousands of commuters that drive all the way down to the Finch subway to get, uh, to, get uh, to the subway system. So, obviously, that helps today. I, I, I couldn't say this, and I, I, I know sometimes I sound like a broken record. The Young subway extension north to Highway 7 is the most justified subway investment in recent history. The ridership far outpaces the ridership in other areas where other projects got funded and are being constructed or have been completed. Now, I don't begrudge that because today when you look at the map, those projects will form part of the connected network that is needed throughout all of the GTA. But as I said several months ago, Young Subway is not going to take a back seat anymore to any other project, and I'm glad that this government has recognized that. And so it meets and helps the ridership of today. But the other part of this, when you extend the Young Subway to Highway 7, we were asked several years ago to create an urban growth center at Young and Highway 7. It will have over 40,000 people living in that area. It will have over 20,000 jobs in that area. You can't unleash that type of economic prosperity without rapid transit feeding that area. So this is not only good news for the beleaguered commuters of today, but it will also unleash billions of dollars worth of uh, economic activity at Young and Highway 7. Thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, you know, it's good news. Transit is always good news for the region. So thanks again, Mayor. Thank you. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next stop takes us to Parliament Hill and a check-in with Vaughn King MP, Deb Schultz. Joining us on the feed this week is Deb Schultz. She is MP for King Vaughn. A lot of local residents probably know you from the municipal level, and now you're in Ottawa. You also serve as par- Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of National Revenue. So thanks for taking some time to, to talk with us. We want to get to a number of issues, but thank you for joining us. Christy, it's always a pleasure uh, to be on 105.9. The service you provide to the community is exceptional. And and again, I just love being on your show. Thanks. So one of the things we want to get to right away is National Volunteer Week. And, you know, volunteering is such a selfless act and no community really could exist without volunteers. And it's really great to be able to recognize people who take the time out of their own schedules to help other people. And you have some events uh, that you want to talk about. We know there's some things happening in the region uh, to celebrate that. So let's talk about celebrating volunteers. 
You're so right. Uh, you know, many people don't think about what volunteers bring to their quality of life, and they're embedded in all aspects, and they work very hard and make our communities better. It, it's just from their, their generosity, they, they, you know, they get really nothing back other than the joy of helping others, right from our coaches in sports, caregivers. We see them at the hospital, in our arts and music programs. We got rate payer groups, charities. It, it, the list goes on, uh, and every single one of them is helping to make our communities better and our quality of life improved. So it's no surprise that our municipalities and governments want to recognize volunteers because they know how much they, they give and how much they do. And so I do want to talk a little bit about uh, what our cities are doing. Uh, King Township, they have theirs on uh, on April the 25th at their brand-new municipal uh, centre, so that's going to be exciting. They do a Citizen of the Year. They've got special recognition awards. Uh, they've got a couple of Senior Citizens Awards, which are always uh, amazing to see how many years. Some of these people are doing this for decades and decades, and so they're, they're being awarded along with youth, and it's always important to remember the youth. They're our future leaders, and it's nice to see them getting engaged and, and giving back at such a young age. The other thing that, that I'd like to let people know is that the Canada Volunteer Awards, the nominations are now open. Uh, they close in June the 21st, so we have lots of time, but it's really about nominating those exceptional individuals and not-for-profit organizations that help find innovative solutions and in helping us solve our social challenges and, and also businesses that demonstrate real social responsibility in their communities. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure that uh, your viewers know about all this great work going on to recognize the amazing volunteers that we have uh, giving so much to our communities. And one of the, the things that, you know, we uh, will talk about is Earth Day. And it flows really well from this idea of volunteerism because we know that so many people spend the time around Earth Day getting out into the community. But at a community level, that's important. But when we talk about the efforts to save the environment and really work on climate change and pollution, there are some things that the government is doing and is put in place to to further that, to help people do the work that's necessary to save the environment, to look at those issues. Um, environment, I know, is something that's near and dear to you and an issue that, that you are greatly concerned about. So let's talk about some of those efforts at the federal level, the government level that, that help the planet. Well, you know what? Uh, you're right. It is very close to my heart. It's something that inspired me to get involved in politics. It's also something that I hear uh, very much is in the youth, uh, close to their heart. There are so many young people that are meeting me and, and uh, calling me and, you know, talking to me on the street when I knock on doors and coming to events and saying, we have to do something. You, you adults have made a mess of our planet. You know, we've got all this you know, plastic in the oceans, we've got uh, plastic in our streams and rivers and lakes and, and lots of pollution and more than anything we've got climate change hitting us and you're wrecking our future, you've got to do something. So the government uh, signed on uh, to the, the Paris Accord and agreed to hit targets which are fairly aggressive and will need a multi-pronged approach to be able to actually meet those targets and hopefully, because uh, you know, we don't know for sure 
sure. Uh, you know, scientists are telling us that we are, we probably have about 12 years to stop getting into the, into the range where, uh, there's a feedback loop that then, you know, climate, uh, will start feeding, uh, causing challenges and adding more greenhouse gases to the atmosphere, which will then melt more and it'll just be, um, a, a loop that will start feeding itself and it won't matter what we do. It'll, it'll be, uh, it'll be like a chain reaction and we won't be able to stop it and that would be pretty catastrophic for our future. So what the government's doing, they worked with provinces and territories to uh bring forward a plan, and it is a multi-pronged approach. So I just want to sort of put a couple things out there. Mm. We're phasing out coal, which the Ontario government did in the province, and it was a, a major step to stopping uh, asthma attacks and, and, and many deaths that we had from seniors with, uh, you know, uh, pulmonary uh, problems uh, that were ending up making them, having their lives ended prematurely because they couldn't breathe properly in there had uh, inflammation in their lungs. So, so phasing out coal was an incredibly important thing that Ontario did and the federal government is, is doing it across the country because of the significant impacts to people's health and the atmosphere. Uh, so that's sort of top-notch uh, step one. We're also investing in innovation and technology and clean energy sources like renewables. We're investing in public transit and just for those that might be listening, what did we do in public transit in our riding and in, in New York region? We made significant investments to the GO system to help with that all-day two-way berry line uh, that is, is being improved and is already started and we're going to have uh, parking garages to be able to have more people come and use that system. So these are the kind of investments we're doing that are going to make a real difference and give people choices that actually work for them rather than, you know, we talk about public transit, but if it doesn't work for you, you're not going to take that option. But, you know, making it so that these are choices that will actually be viable is what we're trying to do. We're investing in communities. There's a lot of money we've put into stormwater management, wastewater infrastructure. These are all things that we have, are working directly with the municipalities to improve. And if we didn't give that money and work with them, it would be on the property taxes. So this is something people need to really pay attention to. The costs are going up. It's going to come to them either through insurance or property taxes or costs at the, uh, at the grocery store or through um, health care costs because we have invasive species, we have Lyme disease, we have other things coming that we never had before and more will be coming up if we get warmer. So these are things that we're, we're working on, disaster mitigation, and providing funds to help there for those that have been uh, flooded or, you know, high winds and tornadoes that were never really having ever tornadoes before, ice storms and fires. This is uh, a $2 billion a year problem that we have that is starting to escalate that needs to be uh, really taken into account. Those, those costs are are carried by all Canadians. So while people think, you know, why are we doing these steps and putting a price on on uh, on fuels? It's because we know we need to reduce the greenhouse gases, or we're going to be facing the costs in other ways. So let's pay a little bit now and stop the catastrophic losses that we're going to have in the future. So these are the kind of things that we've been doing, and in, in including um, improving energy efficiency and investing in that, and inv and protecting nature. Provide protecting more of the, the spaces for in, you know, uh, our iconic species and making sure that we have those forests intact that will help us as we deal with, with increasing climate uh, challenges. So we've, we put a price on pollution. 
we know that the Ontario government uh, is fighting on this point. They're not. Uh, they do not want to. Uh, they, they've actually backed down on their climate plan that they had, and they cancelled the cap and trade system that was in Ontario. And they've made an argument that that was hurting the economy, which did not hold water. The economy was one of the best across Canada, and it was booming, and we had the lowest unemployment in 40 years. So it was not hurting us, but they've cancelled that program. And now the only way to get the same changes that were happening through that program is for us to... Uh, put a price on on uh, on the fuels that we burn to try and reduce the carbon emissions but to help Canadians because we know not everybody is going to be able to make the changes to keep those costs mm-hmm. down we're giving a family of four in Ontario $307 and 80% of the families are going to have more money back in their pocket than they will spend and so this is this is what we're trying to do to help Canadians for those that have really big homes and really big gas bills and cars they are going to pay more and we're hoping that in time they will think about changing the vehicles they have and improving the efficiency of their homes but the majority of Canadians will be better off under this plan and the extra cost will not uh, be burdensome. And so that's, that's the plan that we have in place. So we just need to make sure that people get out there and, and in their taxes put their climate action incentive in their tax uh, schedule 14 so that they will get that money back to help them uh, mitigate the cost uh, that the price on pollution is going to uh, put on top of them. And just to, to, to clarify, just in case, because this is a bit of a a complex issue as far as a lot of information out there um, for people. This it really surrounds what they've been hearing called the carbon tax. That yeah, and it's called it's called a carbon tax by the conservatives, but it is it is not a carbon tax in that a tax it, it, a, t- a tax doesn't come back to you. This is really um, a a price that you pay that is coming back all of it all of the money is coming back to the province to help first 90% of of individuals will get that money and so 90% of the money that's collected will come back to individuals the other 10% is going to go to schools it's going to go to hospitals it's going to go to small business to help them with their efficiencies renew the windows, um, you know, change some very uh, uh, low and or high energy use uh, products. And you might be hearing a little bit in the news about upgrading refrigerators and upgrading lights and upgrading your heating systems and changing your thermostats to be able to dial down the temperature when you don't need it up. These are all the things that we're putting that extra 10% towards to help industry and businesses, not industry, but more the small business and uh, what's called the mush sector, which is the municipal uh, schools, hospitals sector uh, to adjust and get their costs uh, under control. And really part of looking at, you know, protecting the environment, looking at things like climate change, it really is about making small um, efforts, small changes along the way so that it accumulates uh, to big change in the end. It's not, it's not somebody else's problem, right? It's everybody's, everybody has to do their part. Big business, small business, um, you know, municipalities, individuals, everybody's got to do their part. So you're absolutely right. And that's, that's why this is a multifaceted program. It's not, you know, we're just going to go target a big industry because it, we will not meet our, our required targets if we just sort of focus on somebody else doing the action. All of us need to do it. 
And speaking of that, there are some events that are happening in our region for Earth Day that you uh, can share with us. Ways that people can get out there and volunteer and do something great for the planet. Absolutely. Earth Day is April 22nd. It's another exciting day. We just finished Earth Hour, and that was a lot of fun as well. Um, we have April the 25th at Vaughan City. Uh, Vaughan, the city of Vaughan, they basically every year they do a 20-minute makeover, and they put the call out to the community. Schools get really involved in this, and it's a litter cleanup. So it's, it's very effective. We get businesses, residents, community groups involved, and you get out there for 20 minutes. It's it's at 2 p.m. It, it doesn't ask for too much. 20 minutes, everybody can do that. And, and it cleans up the city from a very long winter of a lot of garbage collecting. So it's, it's kind of a nice touch to clean up our city and, and make it ready for spring. The other one that's happening is on the 27th uh, up in King Township uh, in partnership with the Toronto Region Conservation Authority. We have our Earth Day cleanup at Tasca Park, and that's from 10 to 12 p.m. So I'm looking forward to seeing lots of people out at these two events and uh, you know, doing their part in cleaning up our communities and our environment. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you uh, to learn a little bit more about some of the efforts uh, that the government is making for the environment, to talk to you about things in the community, how can they reach out to you? I welcome those calls and those uh, that communication. There's uh, two very effective ways. One is to call the office, and uh, usually you leave your phone number. I find a way to get back a uh, time that I can get back to people. Uh, so my number at the office is 905-303-5000. My staff always try to give any information if it's something straightforward. But if people want to talk to me, I'm happy to return their calls. And the other one is my email, and it's uh, deb, D-E-B, dot schult, S-C-H, U-L-T-E at parl, P-A-R-L dot G-C dot C-A. And I, I definitely, within, I mean, I can't do them within every minute that I get them, but uh, I uh, sort of work very hard at getting back to everybody that emails me as well. And I really look forward to seeing people out at events and having a chance to connect with them. Because as you said before, it's a complicated uh, topic. There's a lot of misinformation flying around, uh, and we need to make sure that people can have the facts and, uh, and you know, really understand what we're doing and why. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing so much information. There's a lot happening in the community that we can all be proud of, for sure. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate, as you said, the, op- the opportunity to connect and, uh, and to share with your uh, listeners uh, what's going on with the government. Thank you so much, Christy. Thank you. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including a look ahead to Passover, Afwaba with the Seder meal. Coming up this month is Passover, and if you're curious about what the historical celebration is all about, joining me to chat today to educate us on Passover is Dania Koplowitz, who is a Jewish life educator with the Schwartz Riesman Center in Woodbridge. Dania, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? I cannot complain. I'm also doing well, very well, thank you. So let's let the listeners know, what is Passover? Uh, Well, aside from a holiday of eating oversized crackers, (laughs) (laughs) Passover, (laughs) it's the Jewish holiday that celebrates the exodus of the Jews from Egypt in biblical times. Led by Moses, the Israelites journeyed from slavery into freedom, escaping the perils and bitterness of their lives at that time. All right. And so when is this celebrated? So it's celebrated in the the Hebrew month of Nisan, um, which 
changes slightly each year, but generally around uh, April. And this year it happens to fall out on the 19th of April and, and continues for eight days. Okay. And so then what are some of the traditional events that are involved in Passover throughout those eight days? Uh, each year, families gather together and commemorate the events by retelling the story during a Passover Seder, which is essentially an organized dinner. Uh, they follow a Passover guide known as a Haggadah, and there are traditional foods that are eaten. There are uh, stories that are told. Generally, young children will ask uh, something known as the four questions, uh, which prompts the retelling of the story during during the evening. And so for listeners that may not know, what are the four uh, main questions that are asked? Basically, the four questions are, why is this night different than any other night? Like, why are we not having a regular dinner? Uh, why do we eat strange vegetables? Why are we eating matzah? Why do we lean while we're eating? And why do we uh, eat these bitter herbs and things like that? So then that leads me into the next question then. Regarding the food, what are some of the different foods for the Passover Seder and what do they represent? So there are the different foods that we have uh, celebrate, uh, sorry, commemorate and, and tell of the symbolism and story. Um, and there are things like bitter herbs, which symbolize the bitter times and hardening of Pharaoh's heart, something called haroset, which is this nut wine mixture uh, that people really often love. It's just a little bit sweeter, and it symbolizes the bricks and the hard labor in Egypt, carpas is a vegetable and symbolizes new spring. The shank bone is on the Seder plate as well, and that shows the strong arm of God that took the people out of Egypt. And an egg represents the cycle of life, and that even in painful times, there's new hope for new beginning. And of course, matzah is also represented, which is the giant cracker, and uh, that is symbolizing uh, that the Jews speedily ran out of Egypt and their bread did not have enough time to rise. Pretty cool. Okay, that's pretty neat. And so during those eight days, is it one food that is sort of eaten throughout the day for each of the eight days, or you can sort of have a mix throughout the eight days of Passover? You can definitely have a mix. Generally, people avoid eating bread uh, and any bread-related product. Pro products that includes things like beer or things that are made um, that are that need time to rise uh, or ferment in that case. People will, in, in place of bread, they'll eat matzah, uh, but all kinds of vegetables and different communities have different traditions of what kinds of things they'll eat with the matzah and how they'll prepare it, whether they'll use it as like a scramble egg mix or base. Um, some people make cool uh, matzah lasagna and matzah pizza, so it's, it's can be a lot of fun and create and quite creative. Pretty cool. Okay, and so I know you just mentioned um, uh, tend, they tend to sort of uh, not have anything that might have yeast in it that might have to rise, um, like uh, any sort of bread with yeast in it or even beer. Are there other types of foods that are forbidden during the eight days of Passover? It really depends on custom. Uh, some people will eat foods that, um, or will not eat foods that sound similar to uh, what the the word for the, like the yeasty rising of bread is known as chametz. Um, so things that sound similar to that, some people will be stringent and they won't eat those kind of things, like hummus sort of sounds like it. So there are some communities that feel really strict about it and they won't eat things like hummus. And, and for a lot of people, it's 
and especially now it's becoming a staple in so many people's fridges. So it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Okay, that's pretty cool. And and um, just uh, um, just a general question: Why eight days? Why not seven? Why not six? Five? Why, um, is there a sort of symbolic um, meaning uh-huh. behind the the eight days of Passover? Yeah, so that's funny that you ask. Uh, actually, in in Israel, it's celebrated for seven days, but the custom is that anywhere outside of Israel adds on an extra day. Biblically, it says that you're to celebrate for seven days, um, but outside of Israel, people will celebrate for an additional day. I guess it's just a, just in case. I like to say that it's for um, family peace, that you can have family dinner with each of your in-laws. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty cool. Okay. Um, it's good information to know, too. And so then what events are, are you hosting, and uh, what events will be held within the community during these uh, eight days of Passover? So uh, I work for the Schwartz Reason Center Jewish Community Center, um, and we actually this week are having chocolate Passover programs that explore and learn about the elements of Passover through a sensory experiential program that includes eating tasty chocolate. Uh, but over the course of the, the days of Passover, we do offer also a Passover camp uh, for kids that are off of school or families that want to take their kids out of school. And uh, there's just great community opportunities in the center itself. Neat. Okay, so then where can residents go for more information if they uh, want to, of course, uh, attend the, uh, um, the event that you'll be hosting this week and maybe even want to know more about Passover? Where can they go for more info? They can check out srcenter.ca for more information, and they're always welcome to reach out to me. Thank you so much, Dania, for taking the time to educate me on what Passover is all about. Thank you so much. It was great speaking with you. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and this is The Feed. If you missed any part of our show, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Over to Jim Lang now with the author of an inspiring new book about how to thrive and survive. Well, there's a new book out uh, by someone I think we need to all listen to because it can help everybody in society no matter what our age. The book is called Perseverance, The Seven Skills You Need to Survive, Thrive, and Accomplish More Than You Ever Imagined. Well, and lo and behold, the author, Tim Haig, well, he's a big deal, a winner in The Amazing Race Canada, and he joins me right now. Tim, it's a real pleasure. How are you, sir? It's a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, you know, I, I, it, it's interesting because I, I, winning the Amazing Race Canada is a really cool thing. I mean, a lot of people like that kind of stuff. It's a, an immensely popular show. But the skills that you learn doing something like that, it, it can apply to real life, can it not? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, it can. The race was an absolutely fantastic experience. I cannot overemphasize that at all. And you're absolutely right. The lessons that we learn from running the race can be applied to every aspect of life. Now, when you talk about these these lessons and seven skills that we need to survive and thrive, I always think about the transition we're going into in 2019-2020. Economy could be different. Uh, Millennials worried about screen time. Anxiety and stress uh, and depression is up to levels I've never seen before. How can the the seven skills from this book, Perseverance, help people deal with all the stresses of their day-to-day life? Well, I'd like to look at it from the point of Parkinson's, you know, Um, I was diagnosed at 46 years old. Nobody asked me if I wanted Parkinson's. Nobody came along and said, hey, Tim, you want to try Parkinson's for a while and see how that goes for you? You know, I didn't have the option. So when you define perseverance, you look at it from the standpoint of to carry on in your course of action, carry on in your course of action, 
even in the face of difficulty, with little or no evidence of success. The truth is there will likely be very little success for me with Parkinson's. Presently, there's no cure. The fact is we don't cure very much in life. So if I'm going to live with this for the rest of my life, how am I going to live with it successfully, positively, joyfully, even though I can't do anything about it? And to get there is the seven steps that I've outlined in my book. Number one, you know, looking at letting go of the happiness myth. This idea that I get in my head often that nothing bad should ever happen to me, that everything should be perfect in my life and I should never have to face any difficulty. And that's just not true. It's just not right. Now, I've had so many people tell me, you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love it if your Parkinson's would go away? Well, you know, I would. I honestly would. I would love it if my Parkinson's would go away, but I always have to stop and ask myself, how about the billions of people who don't eat properly every day? The hundreds of millions of people who don't have houses every day. All the people who live in abject poverty every single day of their lives. There are so many people in this world who have it so much worse off than I am. How about we fix them first, and then I'll line up somewhere after them. We're speaking with Tim Haig, Sr., the author of an incredible book called Perseverance, The Seven Skills You Need to Survive, Thrive, and Accomplish, more than you ever imagined. Uh, he's also a founding U-Turn, a Canadian foundation. For those on all the various stages of Parkinson's, you can get more details at U-TurnParkinson's.org. Uh, check that out. Uh, unfortunately, my wife's father is uh, battling Parkinson's. Uh, I, I mean, I wish this book was out a couple of years ago to help her and her sisters and my wife's family deal with it because it's tough on their end as well. Absolutely. Parkinson's is the kind of thing that just take, gives a beating to everybody that's anywhere near it. Not only the person that's having to live with it themselves physically, but my wife, my kids, and all of those around me. And I just have to say, you know, in, in light of my picture, my picture with Parkinson's is so much better than so many people with Parkinson's. And I always know that it's so much easier to sit and say the things that I say in the book, and I know that it's difficult to, to live out perseverance. It's difficult to live out those seven skills. But what I've learned is that it can be done. We can do more than simply survive with this disease. We can thrive. We can live well with it. And that's really my hope to encourage families, the care partners that come alongside us, our kids, the larger community, that, that we can do this thing. We can, we can do this. You know, Tim, there's so many people out there wondering, geez, can I do this in my life? Can I, uh, can I write a book? Can I change jobs? Can I take that step out of my comfort zone and do something with my life? And I take a look. While you battle Parkinson's, all the individuals and companies and corporations that you have spoken for, it, and it blows me away. How did someone with your background battling Parkinson's find the, the guts and the skill to stand up in TED Talks and talk to the investors group or the Indiana Hospital Association? Well, you know what? I've learned to take a little bit of my own message, and that is to take every advantage. You know, an opportunity is put in front of us, and we do our best to walk through that door. On the race, it was the U-turn. A lot of people didn't like the fact that we used the U-turn on the race, but it was a fair and honest part of the race, and we, we took that advantage. We used it. In life, the phone started ringing to come speak to people with Parkinson's. I chose to take that advantage. I, didn't, I don't always feel confident in it. I don't always feel like I'm the best possible spokesman for it. But when the phone rings, we pick it up and we go if we can when it comes to doing a TED Talk, well, the opportunity presented itself. So we took that advantage. This past year when my doc changed some of my medical management and I found that the cramps had gone away, 
that I was experiencing, I decided to take that advantage and try running again. So I've started running again, and I can't run a seven-minute mile, but you know what? I can run a 10-minute mile, and while a 10-minute mile is not going to win me any gold medals, it's sure going to take care of my body a whole lot better than sitting on the couch at home doing nothing. So the short answer is take the advantage. Press the opportunity. When you're handed something, run with it and see what you can do. Well, two things, Tim. I think running a 10-minute mile is probably better than like 90% of the people listening to this right now. <laughs> they, they wish they could run a 10-minute mile. Um, I, I mean, I literally could talk to you all day, Tim. It's, I know what Parkinson's can do to people, um, to individuals, young and old. It's, it's, it's a horrible disease. We have a lot of work to go. I hope people check out uturnparkinsons.org to help or Tim's own website, timsr.ca, like Tim Sr., timsr.ca for more information. Uh, Tim Haig, the book is called Perseverance, The Seven Skills You Need to Survive, Thrive, and Accomplish More Than You Ever Imagined. Speaking to someone like you, it always reminds me how much more I can do, so I hope other people get that same inspiration. Thank you so much for talking to us. You're very welcome. And remember, don't, don't just don't give up. Learn to persevere. There's a big difference between don't give up and persevere. You can do this. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I hope you enjoyed the book. Will do. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. If you've never tried the practice of yoga, Bliss Ohm in Kleinberg may be the ideal sanctuary for your soul. Heather Good connects with the founder and owner, Laura Lisi. Joining me next on the feed is Laura Lisi, owner and yoga practitioner at Bliss Ohm in Kleinberg. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Heather. Can you tell us about Bliss and your work as a yoga practitioner? Awesome. So here at Bliss Ohm, um, we, I created a, a holistic living uh, studio to capture the hearts of people who are on their own journey of self-enlightenment. Uh, it was my vision to create a place that feels peaceful, peaceful and loving the moment you step through the door, a sanctuary for your soul, a place to find your light and connect to your greatness. So what do we do here at Bliss Home? Um, we offer yoga, Pilates, meditation, uh, holistic cert- uh, certifications such as uh, Reiki certification, uh, life coaching certification, uh, yoga teacher training certification uh, designated by Yoga Alliance. We also offer different healing modalities. Uh, Reiki being one of them, Thai yoga massage, life coaching, uh, which I do myself here, and many di- different holistic workshops, angel courses, chakra courses, meditation courses, and retreats. Okay. Now, let's just go, ba- go back a little bit. What were you doing before you got into doing yoga and running this, this studio? What were you doing before that? Uh, I was raising my family. Okay. So I was a stay-at-home uh, stay mom. That's a lot of work. So what made, you, what made you go into this direction and do this? So uh, my kids were getting older, and uh, there was a push in me that said, uh, okay, yeah, you're doing a great job raising uh, these kids, and I love doing that. But a little voice that was saying, um, there's something more, and uh, I wanted to explore what that more was for myself, and I began to work with a life coach. And in working with a life coach, I thought, wow, this is something I can truly step into, and my journey began. Hmm. And what is it about yoga? What made you go into the direction of, of yoga? I just love the practice of yoga. I feel it encompasses um, our whole uh, 
being. Um, not only is do, when I get on my mat to practice yoga, uh, it doesn't stop there. It feeds my spirit, my body, my soul. I I finish my practice and I just take a deep breath and it's like, wow, I feel refreshed today to start and begin new and be my best self. Um, let's let's get a little bit more into yoga. Um, I, I've taken yoga classes and I find and I think they're great, but a lot of people. You know, they might still think that yoga is not for them. What, what is, why is yoga important for the body, for someone to take a yoga class? Well, I feel that uh, when you take a yoga class, not only is there the physical aspect, which is great and um, gets the energy flowing in your body, you be, you're stretching, you're um, having all this movement, but you're also practicing a, a practice that instills um, mind, body, and spirit all in one. So I think it's really important to uh, be able to quiet our minds, to get focused, and to realign not only in our physical self, but in our uh, spiritual self. Mm. And you talk about, you mentioned it before, about healing modalities. Can you go into detail about those a little bit more? So we have uh, a, a practice called Reiki, and Reiki works with aligning our energy system, all our energy energy centers. So uh, if you felt like you were um, not feeling uh, your best self or you were, you were not feeling like uh, there was something going on, but not that you were uh, uh, like sick per se, but you, there was, mm-hmm. you were just uh, feeling off. Mm-hmm. Reiki would be a, a modality that would totally help you uh, to realign, uh, to move some energies going through your body. So it's um, it's a holistic practice. Okay. We okay. also have a Thai yoga massage, and a Thai yoga massage is very interesting. They kind of call it the lazy man yoga, and it's where you come in and you're on a on a bigger mat, and uh, your practitioner is actually massaging you while stretching out of uh, your body. So you're not really doing, you're enjoying the practice while someone actually is doing the practice for you. Really oh. cool. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. It also, uh, I believe, uh, complements your uh, physical practice at the gym because now you're stretching out all the muscles that you've been contracting or you've been working really hard at. And sometimes we have injuries. Uh, sometimes people come in here because they have injuries and they want to heal their bodies. And by stretching and by um, coming to a yoga practice, you really can get into your deeper tissues and allow for that healing to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to take a class at your studio, what, what do they have to do? So we do have an app uh, that you can download uh, to your mobile phone, and uh, it is uh, Blissom Space Ohm. So that's one way to log on um, very easily onto your mobile phone, and you can see all the, all the classes there, and you can register for any class or any uh, services that you might be interested in. Uh, another way is to go onto our website, lithome.ca. We're all trying to find our, uh, our peace and our happiness, and yoga provides that for you. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next story explores care and support 
for our seniors. Netta Sarshar with Mosaic Home Care. Mosaic Home Care is recognized as one of the best practice leaders in home care services. Mosaic distinguishes itself by not only providing personal support and nursing towards seniors, but also by providing a platform for the individual and community to come together and envision healthier futures. As York Region is an aging community, we are so fortunate to have a Mosaic base in our very own Markham. Joining me today is Beth Achete, the Community Resource and Social Engagement Coordinator for Mosaic Home Care. Beth, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Nada. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to get talking. <laughs> so t- give me, me as well. A- Great. So give me a sense of Mosaic's uh, mission statement. Who does the organization um, serve and help? Right. So Mosaic's mission statement is essentially to de- deliver the best quality services to people in the GTA. So we utilize a person-centered care approach, which places uh, people as a primary focus, so the individual. Uh, Mosaic attempts to do this through our home care services, like you mentioned, and also the various free programs and events that we're offering to our community members. So um, our two community resource centers that also makes thousands of resources available uh, to those who are looking for some guidance and some help. Great. So can you give me an example of a community service that Mosaic does offer to the community? Sure. So um, I'll start off with the home care. So we offer high-quality home care services. Uh, we were actually recently awarded the gold medal of the European Society for our person-centered care model in the UK. Amazing. Uh, so that was really exciting. And we also have a highly skilled and personable team that works tirelessly to ensure that anyone who's looking for healthcare navigation or social services will get the answers that they're looking for. But through our two community resource centers, uh, we really work hard to provide a space to come and engage with one another and also stay socially active. So we know that there's been a lot of complex issues surrounding our aging population, right? So we want people to make those new connections, stay involved and engaged in their communities. So we really understand that um, older adults are actually an asset to our community and we believe that they should be valued as such. So we try and do that through um, our programs as well and just have those programs available to our um, our population, right? Our communities. Right. That that sounds amazing. And congratulations about the award. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I've heard a lot about a community cafe. Um, right. What exactly? What what is that? <laughs> so the community cafe is a great program that we offer here at Mosaic. So. We actually run this program on a monthly basis. Uh, We really realize that there's merit in providing spaces for people to come together and communicate and learn with one another. So the general idea behind the cafe is that it's a space for everybody. So people are welcome to come and sit and listen. Um, They can take talk and take part or actually lead and define, um, help define their community. So for example, this month's community cafe for April, we're going to be touching on uh, stress and stress management. Um, but on June 17th, we're actually going to be launching our community-led project series where we actually have one of our longtime participants who's going to be leading the community cafe himself. So he's going to be leading a bird box building workshop. So this is super exciting, super fun, and this is what we want. We really want to provide individuals the platform to really take the lead in their communities, right? So we want to try our best to build on each other's strengths, um, and I think this is what uh, community development truly is in its organic form. Wow. So essentially people have the opportunity to come over there and uh, just express what they are thinking about their community? 
Right. So, I mean, we do typically have a topic or some sort of program planned, right? But we do like to open up the floor to our community members who would like to offer something, right? So Rick came up to me and said that he, he does these bird box uh, boxes and he sells them at the farmer's market and he makes them for his friends. And I'm like, you know what, that would be a really great idea if you could come and maybe help us build some bird boxes and open that up, right? So it gives a platform for people in the community to really take on that leadership role, right? Right. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is, why why does Mosaic take such a democratic approach towards community building? Isn't it isn't it better to just sort of dictate to everybody what we should be having? Oh, no, no, no. So community building, like I said, in its purest form, right, you need to be learning off of each other, right? It's important that we value every single person in our community, right? And this includes our aging population, right? So a lot of times when people retire or um, they have, they find themselves having more time, uh, they really don't know what to do, right? So we don't want to tell them, okay, come here and sit here and do this and that. Instead, let us know what you want to provide to give back to your community, right, and provide your community. In your experience, what are some of the major issues that seniors encounter post-retirement? Stress, right. So I would say isolation is a big problem. Um, so this is something that we're dealing with all the time, and this is not an issue that we only see in the aging demographic, but also in all age groups, right? So we, we need to push for spaces where people feel welcomed and valued, and they can really transform and make their own. That's what we're trying to do with our two community resource centers, right? Um, you'd be surprised the amount of people who come in um, in the community resource centers and ask me, Beth, where can I volunteer? How can I join um, a specific exercising group or a knitting group, right? And people do want to uh, have healthy and happy lives. They want to lead those types of lives. And programs like the Community Cafe make that possible, right? So we're also working on a community mapping project. It's a long-term project. Uh, which helps map social bumping places based uh, on areas in the GTA. So we're currently co- uh, collecting information on where people are connecting, uh, and we want to make this information readily available for anyone looking for social and educational programs in Toronto. Amazing. I love that idea. So will that, be, will that map be centered around York Region or Toronto or the GTA in general? It'll be the GTA in general. So, I mean, it's a long-term five-year project. So, we'll take some time as we continue to input information into our database. But the, the end goal is really to have that information. If somebody could tell me, okay, this is the neighborhood I live in. I'm looking for yoga programs, right, care yoga programs in this area. And we would be able to pull up that information for them, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, we are too. Yeah, it's a great project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So how can our listeners get more involved with Mosaic? So there's a number of ways you can actually be uh, get in touch with us. So our website would be the first, I would say. So www.mosaichomecare.com. We also have our Facebook if you want to type in Mosaic Home Care and Community Resource Centers. Uh, We have a Twitter, at Mosaic Home Care. Um, So you can follow us on all these platforms to stay up to date on all the different programs and events that we're running throughout the spring and the summer. Uh, If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us through our general email at info at mosaichomecare.com or my personal email, Beth, at mosaichomecare.com. Beth Ashede, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.